we want to offer you a complimentary CTP bundle. That's right. It means the certified treasury professional exam and access to the AFP preparation platform for free. To participate in the contest, you simply need to share the LinkedIn post that we just published and tag both the AFP and Corporate Treasury 101. The link is in the description. Go check it out. Hey guys, Osam here. Just very quickly before we start, Guillaume and I have partnered up with Automation Boutique to write a brand new ebook for you guys called Going Beyond the Buzzwords. It's an amazing ebook that goes through all the things about automation, data, and processing that just simplifies the topics just in the way that we do all the time in Corporate Treasury 101. To pick up your copy, just go into the show notes and click on the link or go to the website and find the partners page where we have a link to the ebook there as well with Automation Boutique. And then here's the episode. Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the second part of our full interview with Jim Cates, where we discuss the multi-faced rules of the AFP. In the episode of today, expect to learn what thought leadership initiatives has the AFP undertaken to advance the treasury and finance sectors? How does the AFP contribute to the continuous development of skills in the corporate treasury space? What is Jim's role as a president and CEO of the AFP and what does it entail? And like always, much, much more. It was very refreshing to chat with Jim, particularly to understand the vision, values, and behind the scenes of the Association for Finance Professionals. Jim embodies these visions and values, and it clearly shows in the episode. We hope you will enjoy the episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That will mean the world to us and help more people learn about treasury. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solution. They use robotic process automation, or PA, AI, APIs, and Power Query to create automations that can work with your existing systems. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the industry. For this partnership, they came up with an AI-powered automation self-scan that can help you find out if a business process is suitable for automation and how to best get started. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 15 minutes. What's great is that the report you will get from the scan helps you determine if the benefits of the automation outweigh the costs. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. And with all that being said, please welcome Jim Cates. Talk us through the, the multifaceted role of the AFP, Jim. I think you touched upon it a bit earlier, but uh, let's deep dive a little bit. So let's focus on the events first. Um, tell us more about Nashville and the edition that's, so we are recording right now. It's early December, 2023. We had the, the conference less than a month ago. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In San Diego. What goes on during this conference? What topics are you talking about? Who, who do you talk to? Who do you have talk at? 
like 6,000 treasurers. That's, that's massive. Like what happens in those conferences? So as I mentioned, we have 130, edu 130 educational sessions. We have, I believe, six to eight actual tracks, um, payments tracks, career services pack, uh, track, P&A track, bank relationship tracks. So we have specific treasury tracks um, that are bro broken down. Again, I want to emphasis, emphasize that every one of those sessions, uh, along with our internal staff and our internal subject matter experts, uh, we get over, for those 130 uh, educational sessions, we get over 650 submissions for sessions. So it's not quite like getting it to Oxford or Harvard or Princeton, but, it, but it's pretty close. And um, we really focus on those educational sessions that they are focused on how to help that practitioner solve the problem. So while yes, we'll have uh, non-practitioners non on those conference sessions, the focus really has to be bringing people in who actually have, have, can help you solve those problems. And I will tell you, we measure every track uh, that we get feedback, we get feedback from the, the attendees of each one of those sessions. So we can look at conference tracks we measure the speaker effectiveness. We measure the topic ex um, effectiveness. So it's, it's the one thing I would say, I don't know if it keeps me up at night, but I certainly, when I have to open up the PDF that says, here are the conference evalues, it gives me a little bit of, oh, oh God, please. And we, and we report these to our board of directors. So by session, by track, by subject matter. Uh, I will tell you, and it's on a five point scale. So I'll tell you this year, I think we averaged like 4.6, 4.7. So we, I take a lot of pride in our organization, really identifying the topics that people care about and getting the right speakers. So we also have some very, so we bring industry experts, uh, from all over the world to the event. Uh, we also have very big name speakers. I'm actually surrounded by all the big name speakers. Uh, that we've had at the event that typically is Sunday this year. It was uh, John Cena, who actually was, he was fantastic. But if I looked around my office, I see Richard Branson, I see Shaquille O'Neal, uh, I see uh, Bill Clinton, George Bush, Condoleezza Rice, we could go down the list. Um, and we do that on Sunday to really kind of set the stage. It's not, not meant to be a finance or treasury person. It really is to give someone, uh, we had Layla Ali, it's just someone to give a different perspective that starts spark, starts that Sunday off in, in a way that kind of sparks that enthusiasm, excitement, um, because after that, it's two, two and a half straight days of real technical <laughs> discussions. Although I will say we have a career services track that is probably the most popular and gets great scores because we really want to focus on not only the technical side, it's that left brain, right brain we talked about, um, but also how can we help them be successful in their career? So there, there's that aspect of it as well. And then uh, our Tuesday speaker was Ian Bremer, who was amazing. If you're familiar with Ian in terms of, you know, he's the, like one of the gurus of political risk. And uh, uh, right now there's, there's a lot of political risk more than I think any of us would like in the world. So his perspective, uh, on political risk was amazing. We've had Adam Grant. I mean, we have a lot of great speakers. We want to, we want to challenge people to think differently, uh, which is why we bring in speakers that aren't 
that also aren't just treasury or finance focused, give them an outside perspective on the world. And I think it's very effective. We have a huge exhibit floor. We have about 250 exhibitors. So every big name in banking treasury technology is sitting on our exhibit floor. It's a village. It looks like a village. Uh, I love to see that village, especially after COVID when there was no village for one year. But that's an opportunity for people to talk to their um, their current uh, providers, service providers, uh, learn from others. Um, we have a lot of practical demonstrations. So I'm guaranteeing both of you are coming so you can explain it because I think that once somebody comes to the AP annual conference, they, we, we got them because it's just right. an, an amazing uh, event and the networking aspect. Again, it's people seeing people just like them confronting the same issues they are confronting. And everyone, you know, for the most part, really wanted to help each other out. So it doesn't get any better than that. Jim, I want to talk with Shaquille O'Neal about treasury. How, how do we make that happen? Shaq? <laughs> Shaq talks about what Shaq wants to talk about. Uh, you know, and I'm not... Probably gonna, makes sense. I'm not going to tell him <laughs> otherwise. That's the thing for uh, You know, we, we don't try to ask Shaq to talk about... Like we didn't ask John Cena to talk about treasury. Although you would be amazed. I, I will tell you, <laughs> these are very good business people. So Shaq's a hell of a businessman. Yeah. Uh, we've had Magic Johnson many years ago. Magic Johnson's like God. a billionaire, right? And Richard Branson, uh, although I asked him, he, he said, I know nothing about finance. Well, you know, maybe, maybe yes, maybe <laughs> no. But a lot of these individuals who aren't necessarily what you think are, you know, not necessarily finance, but they're, they've been pretty successful in their business lives. And, pretty, and then they've been, whether they're a great athlete, whatever that is, that magic, that magic gets translated anyone in any profession. What is that little nugget of what, what has motivated them, what has driven them to success, what, you know, what they've learned from failure. I think those are things we all, we, we all like to hear. And I think we always think, oh, these people never had any challenges or anything. And then when you listen to them, they, they pretty much bear their soul. And I don't know, maybe either misery loves company or we all love to see, you know, that we can relate to others. So. Uh, and it creates excitement too. I mean, I love seeing people come flying in on Sunday afternoon because they want to get up front to see, see a big name speaker and, you know, take their, with their phones and take pictures. That's, it's pretty cool. I have great things to you know, by the way, I, I spoke to some people, we weren't there, but I spoke to some people that were at San Diego. And the first thing they said was, guys, John Cena was there. He was amazing. Like He was amazing the microphone he was he did his little oprah yeah. thing we're taking questions from the audience and you know he, he was a guy who uh he was he was i will tell you i the other great thing about this this job has been you know i get to meet these people backstage yeah. he he was just a really nice that's guy that's uh, i can't always say that about everyone i met so but i won't tell you the ones i didn't think were nice <laughs> i'll only tell you the ones that i think were nice people and they all were by and large very nice but he was he was he was a really good guy and you could tell that uh he he wanted to give back and he he was i was a little skeptical but boy he knocked it out of the park he was something he was really champ. something good champ guy at the world champ um <laughs> yeah so uh, talk us a bit more jim about that left brain right brain thing and more on the um aspect of like you seem to be in your training sphere 
not just trying to train the hard skills and also make sure that treasurers acquire those soft skills. Tell us more about that. Yeah, a, a couple of things. You know, one of the things, and maybe it's changing at the undergraduate level now, uh, but when I when I previously kind of talked at, at presentations, you know, a lot of people uh, either come up with accounting or finance. I mean, that's really in most business schools, and we can talk about that because I'd like to change some of that a little bit. You know, first of all, w if you're coming up the accounting or finance, you know, you're not taught to make mistakes, right? You've got to, you've got to balance the debits and credits. Um, but so much of the job these days, I mean, having those technical skills is, is, is that's, that's just kind of basic. That's expected that you're going to be able to have those basic skill sets. But we live in a world, I mean, I'm not telling you anyone anything new here, um, but the, the people that are going to distinguish themselves in those in those careers are people that can talk to other people. They can explain um, complicated concepts without using acronyms uh, and able to tell a story. And being a storyteller is a skill set. It is not something that you, oh, I'm a good storyteller. I happen to be a lousy storyteller, so when I'm trying to tell a story, I spend my time, what's the story I want to tell? And how am I going to communicate this story so that I get people one, interested, and two, try to make that point. Now, those are skill sets that accounting and finance typically, you know, they don't have storytelling classes, although they think they probably should. Maybe that's what I'll do in my retirement. I'll teach storytelling. But it's also realizing that, I mean, unless you're going to have a job where you're just going to be looking at a spreadsheet or you're not going to be dealing with other people, uh, and I don't know exactly what that job is, then you're going to have to deal with people, and I'm going to tell you a little story. So I was asked by uh, uh, an acquaintance I met. He teaches out at UCLA at the, at the undergraduate or graduate. Well, both. I think it was a class. And these were all, um, he was teaching a leadership course. And they're all in finance, but many of them were real quants. Real quant, I mean, real quants. They, they were doing stuff I didn't understand. It's just like watching Oppenheimer. I, I mean, it sounded great, but I didn't understand anything they were talking about. And uh, so I talked about AFP's culture, how important it is to work with people, respect in the workplace, all, all of those things are really important to me personally as, um, as someone who works with other people. And at the end of the session, I wasn't there, he asked people, well, how many people want to work with Jim, would work for a company like Jim's? Well, he said maybe half the group. Okay, I was fine. Other half, why don't you want to work for a company like, or work with someone like Jim who really expects you to, you know, interact with other people, work together, be respectful? Half no. Why? I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to do all those things. I just want to do my job. Well, I would love to go back to those people and say, good freaking luck. Uh, I mean, unless you can find a job where you're not dealing with other people. So, you know, you have to make a choice in life and give them that opportunity. But I think those, the, those right brain skills of being able to communicate. And you look at, at the, the, the top level CFOs or corporate treasurers, they have those skill sets. They're able to communicate with others. They are able to show empathy. They're able to explain these things. They're just good people persons. And I think to be a leader, you have to be a good people person, but it's not always something that people who gravitate towards finance or accounting think about. I just think it has to be, it has to be, and it, it's a learned skill. I mean, it can be learned. And I think that this is something 
that, that I, I'm very passionate about. We had Daniel Pink speak. He's written a book about this. And he talks about those are the people that are going to be most successful in the world who have the ability to be that, that bright brain, to have that intellectual curiosity, creativity, the ability to, to, to influence and speak to others in a way that's not, you know, pointing a finger and say, you better, you know, you better do this or you're out of here. So. Uh, no, no, no. If anything, it's a competitive advantage, right? At the very least. I mean, everyone that comes into finance, like you said, is very analytically orientated. Um, if you can be analytically orientated with the ability to communicate and persuade and convince and work with other people, then that's always going to be a competitive advantage. Well, right. And give them a choice. I mean, if, if you don't really want to move up in the organization and just want to do that job for the rest of your butt, cool, yeah. that's fine. But m make sure that you understand the implications of that. Um, and especially, I, 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 no, I've just, and especially in the room of treasure, right? Um, you're, a lot of the time, what we hear treasurers complain about is that they don't get enough resources, which is a negotiation inside an organization. Anyone that's worked inside a company knows that there's money going around. You just have to have the best business case to have that money spent on you, which is a negotiation, right. which is a convincing skill, which is the ability to be able to portray the needs that your treasury department is fulfilling to the company and the importance of those in a way that uh, influences and convinces. Um, Right, and it can't be it can't be just during budget exactly. time. And you have to you have to put the time in, you know, three hundred sixty five days a year to to develop those relationships. And uh, I, I've been part of and, and kind of analogous to that. I've been part of uh, you know CEO groups where they they'll say, "I want to bring someone in for three days so we can change the culture of the organization." <laughs> and then three days after that, well, you'd be amazed. Three days. <laughs> well, I have three day off site. Why aren't these people you know doing what we said we were going to do? Because it's not a three day job. You know, culture, communication, these things are 365 day a year jobs or whatever, take out the weekends. I don't know what the math is there. But my point being that if you're going to say something, you really have to be committed to doing it and not just in this kind of short window. Uh, and you can need to work towards being a true business partner and they see the value of the function. I don't care what the function is. Um, but if you just like show up for the day that, you know, Good luck. Set your laptop. No, indeed. And and culture, at least what I've seen, having worked in large organizations and then, and then ran teams myself, is top down. Um, and most Absolutely. most people in influential positions and tops of companies understand that it's top down. And therefore, they want to make sure that their top, the other people in their organization that are running the show, are able to do that culture setting, that uh, lead by example, that convincing, that um, those, those soft skills and then so they're only going to promote up to their level the people that they believe okay this person's going to be a good leader uh, overall you know culture is one of those things Hassan, that it has to be at the top uh, it's not something that can flow up mm -hmm. um, and there has to be a commitment and there has to be a sustained commitment I could talk for days about this um, because I see that um, you know people do things and say things that are counter to what they, they think they're doing from a culture standpoint, it, it's hard work and it's every day you have to focus on that corporate culture, but it absolutely starts at the top. And, you know, employees aren't stupid. Uh, if, if, uh, if someone's speaking out of one side of the mouth, but doing something differently, that just will kill it right there. And pe people see it and, and uh, recognize it. And, and then that's where trust breaks down, but that's for yeah, a whole nother that's, that's another, 
that one I could talk to for days because I'm. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on for that for sure, Jen. Yeah. Um, in terms of thought leadership, you mentioned um, you guys write white papers and whatnot as well, and that's a big part of the value equation for members in the AFP. Can you tell us a bit more about what else you guys do around thought leadership? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we have uh, and we're blessed with two subject matter experts in internally, one in Treasury and one in FP&A who have been practitioners. Um, and their job really is to reach out into the into the into the community to really understand what are the day to day issues that uh, anyone in Treasury or anyone in FP&A are kind of are being challenged with. And so we have uh, multiple advisory groups. We have an APAC advisory group. We have a Middle Eastern uh, based out of Egypt, but that's Egypt and Saudi and the rest of the uh, the Middle East. Um, and we have uh, uh, volunteer groups here uh, that are constantly working with the uh, subject matter experts who, uh, as I mentioned, have practical skills. They've been in organizations uh, in those roles. And then we take that information uh, all the time and, and understanding what kind of the the, the hot buttons are and what's what's important and what's challenging and then we'll uh, create content around that whether it's a webinar or in some cases podcast but more more typically it's a webinar and then we'll do a white paper around that webinar a thought leadership piece around that and then we'll then have a, a webinar around those topics um, so we're trying to lead the profession identify those issues that are we know of broadly impacting someone in corporate treasury uh, and you know want to help inform the members it's all part of that our mission which is to help our members be successful at every stage of their career so uh, it's looking at you know from core blocking and tackling issues to more strategic issues as you get into the treasurer uh, role um, but it's that continuum that we're very focused on uh, to help people at the every stage of their career to be successful if if they can say AFB helped me get there uh, or it was part of my career journey, then we've succeeded. The job is done. And I think we are. It's never done, but yes. <laughs> work in progress. And, right. Uh, getting some We're results. all work in progress. I think we are scratching the surface here, um, Jim, because you guys are doing a lot. Um, can, you, can you tell us a bit more about publications that you do? You have data activities. You have surveys. First of all, what's... Why is it important to you and to the AFP? Uh, why are you doing it? And also, what's the distinction between the stuff that you will put out for the for all the people versus the stuff that you put out for the community and the members only? Because doing the saying that you do a lot of stuff is the least we can say. Why is it important for you, especially those very targeted activities? And what's the split between? We keep that for our members because that's exclusive information and you need to be a part of, of it to have access to right. it versus this is something we need to show to the world so this will be accessible by everybody. Yeah, so um, we do distinguish between member and non-member um, content uh, for the very reason that you mentioned that we want to have a member value bundle or proposition for someone who wants to be an AFP member so they'll have access to uh, webinars, to CPE credits. Uh, that's a lot of part of what we do to providing uh, not only the Brian the content, but uh, the CTP does require, I believe, 42 credits uh, to keep up with your, your certification. We do, we do have a, um, 
continuing education requirement for our certifications, which is best in class. Um, I don't think anyone can say, you know, I've taken a certification, now I don't need to know anything more. No, that's just a kind of baseline foundational knowledge, and you do need to know more uh, because the world is changing. So we do bifurcate uh, our content, some of it's um, specifically just for members, whether it's a webinar or specific content piece. Um, and then we just, you know, we kind of look at from a social media standpoint, we'll put out, you know, a blurb about some of the white papers and then people, if they want to get the full, uh, the knowledge, you know, then, then you have to be a, an AFP member. It's a delicate balancing act and one I don't necessarily understand. So, uh, you know, the, the, the person, the woman who's kind of heads up our, um, that department is, you know, focusing on the member value piece versus, and, and for membership, and then what we want to send out to the rest of the world. So it's a, I think it's more art than science, but clearly we, we have member only content versus uh, content that we'll put out for the world. Pretty typical business model uh, from that standpoint. We, but we look at membership as, a, as one of our products. I mean, you can be a customer at AFP and not be a member, but we'd love for you to be a customer and a member of AFP. So we, we do things too make it clear that you're you'll get all and uh, for instance you can't be part of the community board if you're not a member maybe mm -hmm. the, in many cases the most valuable resource because you see the questions that are being asked you get very specific answers to those questions and you're getting them answered by people that actually have done it before um and to me that's worth the price of admission right there because if the boss comes in and says hey I need the answer to this and I need the answer tomorrow. And you have like, I have no idea. Well, you're not going to say that to the boss, but get on the community AFP board. Hey, <laughs> I just, the boss came in. He asked me this question. Can you help me? You'll get the answer. And how valuable is that? Um, and there's no, you know, there's no restrictions to it. So to me, it's, it's maybe one of the more valuable things that we provide to our people who become AFP members. hundred percent. And, Tell us more about, so you said you're looking at that board all the time. You told us that you um, do all these like follow-ups on the data from the conferences, Jim. You mentioned that you have these uh, FP&E and treasure professionals that are constantly surveying. Like you guys seem like a very data-orientated organization overall. And um, so I'm sure you have amazing insights into today as of December 4th, 2023. What is the biggest problem that treasurers are facing? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, yes, we are. I think I would say we're content driven in that we're not internally saying this is what they should think. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to get a, a sample with people that really know what's going on in the world and then develop products and services that are going to help the members be successful. So you see that, for instance, in our conference. And the way we do that is we have a conference planning committee uh, made up all of practitioners. We divide them into different groups, payments, treasury risk, career services. So we actually bring in the practitioners. Um, as I mentioned, we had over 650 submissions. Um, so we start with those, say, submissions per conference. That in and of itself is a great indicator of what are the topic areas that are on the minds of 
not only practitioners, but also uh, all of our um, service providers, whether it's the banks, technology companies, payments companies, because if they're sending in proposals on these particular topics, that, that gives us enormous insight into what are the topics that their, their clients are dealing with. So that, that's great. I mean, and that is the advantage because sometimes the service providers have a better concept or they have a broader perspective than others. So uh, it's, it's doing that using our advisory committees, our councils as well on a, uh, that meet uh, in some cases every month to talk about what are the issues that they're facing. Um, you know, I think right now, I mean, no surprise, uh, political risk is huge. Um, anything related to uh, uh, payments, cybersecurity. With Treasury, it, it's the, it, you know, it's blocking and tackling. It's, it's the issues maybe get more complicated, and, but they don't necessarily change. I still think there's probably a lot of room for an impact of technology yet, but I don't think we've seen it. I think there's a lot of talk about it, but I don't know how many, it's unclear to me how many treasury or finance organizations have really adopted all that much technology or artificial intelligence or anything into their processes. I think those are always emerging issues, but quite frankly, it's the blocking and tackling of what treasury has to do every single day. How do they do it more efficiently? How do they manage risk? How do they minimize risk and have a clear pipeline or, or, or visibility into where the cash is in the company? Fundamentals. Indeed. It's, it is. I mean, it, it is. I mean, if, in a good way, it's Groundhog Day. I mean, we always get amazed when we look at, you know, what are the issues on that on that community board? And my God, that, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they tend to be the same issues, which isn't necessarily bad. But I mean, they're, they're, they're a very focused group of individuals, right? They have a clear mission and vision and they got to they gotta do it. Super clear. What about you, Jim? So you've been uh, CEO and president of the AFP for, for a very long time now. What does that role entail? We had a little bit of a chat about this beforehand, um, about what what is you are the culture of the AFP as an organization and then all of its members as well. And in some weird way, although you're technically customers, um, you definitely set the tone of the experience that they have, right, as being the leadership of the AFP overall. Um, what does your role entail and how do you set that culture? Well, I mean, it, the culture internally is one, is, is kind of, that's my role and responsibility as the, as the CEO to set the culture of the organization. But I think that culture internally reflects how we want to be to uh, perceived to the outside world. And it's, that is very important to me internally. I can't control the world, but I can't control the, the world of AFP to to some extent and so having a great respect for people for people's opinion for diverse opinions to be respectful in the work you know to be respectful of one another and and different opinions to to get by if a decision is made to get behind decisions you have your say and i think the most important thing for me has always been you know i want everyone at afp internally to be successful why would I not want them to be? It's the, you know, if, if everyone is successful, then it makes my job easier and I'm all for making my job easier. I also, well, I, I am a big person, someone who believes in pushing decisions down. I think I've shocked some people when I said a good week is no, that I haven't had to make any decisions. So if I don't have to make any decisions, then everyone else is making those good decisions, right? And I'm just 
totally fine with that. I, I think it's because it's tiring, um, Jim. Come on. <laughs> What's yeah. Make decisions yeah. all day. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? Um, you know, I'm, I've never understood that. Oh, I got to make every decision. Okay. Well, why? And if you're making every decision, then everyone's managing up. And I think one of the great, one of the things certainly for new leaders is, you know, I always say to them, they're going to try to manage up on you. You're going to, you're going to get, oh, I, what do you think? And the answer is, I, it doesn't matter what I think. You tell me what you think, and then we'll, we can go from there. So we could talk about culture a lot. We have a very well-defined culture. I will tell you that 50% uh, of our compensation is based on um, your cu culture, and we measure it, and, and, and then 50% is based on actual performance on the job. I think what this reflects for us, though, is our why statement and how we think about our customers. Because if you come to the AFP event, that staff is, I mean, we have a relatively very small staff that runs the conference and runs AFP, but they are 100% committed to our mission statement and our why statement. And there's clear transparency in our organization in terms of what's going well, what's not going well, what do we need to address and how all of us to collectively together have to, have to, you know, do our jobs and be successful that I really do believe in rising tides lifts all boats. So I think that gets reflected in when you see the conference, when you interact with the AFP staff and how we're very much focused on our why statement, which is how are we helping our members, customers be successful every day? Are we fulfilling that mission? Um, and I think it's, you know, it's the more transparency in terms of what the expectations are and what we're measuring, the, the better off. And that's kind of been our focus. We've certainly, you know, no organization we, is perfect. And, you know, you make mistakes. For us, it's, you know, okay, acknowledge the mistake, uh, clean it up, and just don't do it again, right? I mean, unless it's something really egregious, but quite frankly, that's never happened in my 26 years of something egregious. So I think that outlook on the world and how we how we look at our why statement, the culture piece, all reflect how we try to fulfill our mission as a, as a as a mission driven organization for the success of the individual practitioner. So mm. uh, hopefully, it all fits together. What's your next big project, Jim? Spoiler alert: If you can say, like, interested into understanding what's your so like obviously AFP is big to say the very least. Um, lots going on lots of content, amazing events, the treasury certification out there that we're going to talk about in a minute. What's next on your roadmap? Like what would you like to see implemented by or with the AFP that hasn't been done yet, or that is work in progress? Like what's the, what's the next thing for the AFP? Well, I think it's continued to maintain the, the preeminence of the CTP certification. And I think I mentioned that we have seen, uh, we have seen over the last two, three years, a real growth outside the United States, which to us is fantastic. And it's not something we just said, oh, we're surprised. I mean, we've been trying to, certainly with the uh, establishment of our APAC office in Singapore, uh, as well as the partnerships we have in the Middle East. Uh, we've embarked on, um, I don't want to give too many state secrets here, but you know, uh, training partners throughout the world who who will in their in their local areas we're we're not big enough uh, don't have the resources to you know introduce the CTP at, at the local market in Vietnam for instance so we have partners right. so it's it's continuing that looking for global partnerships uh, we're very open to working with individuals uh, individual training companies 
I still think there's a lot of potential growth in the APAC region. Uh, China, in particular, could be a, a huge market for us. I mean, obviously, there are political um, you know, ups and downs there. Um, but I've been, prior to COVID, I've been into uh, China multiple times. I'm always quite, I mean, it, it's interesting when you're not, when you're talking to people, it's, they kind of realize, well, you know, we might not be best friends, but we really need to be friends. You know, we'll agree to disagree, but you know what? There is a codependency there. I might mm-hmm. get myself in trouble by that. But from a business standpoint, that's that's what I've seen. Um, and I think when you're talking corporate treasury, it, you know, it's not exactly, you know, I'm not trying to solve world peace here. It's treasury. And I think that, you know, effectively running organizations and having an effective treasury department and having those skills uh, in other parts of the developing world is a really important skill for countries. I read recently, you know, Indonesia is trying to move and move in a different direction. In fact, their minister of education, I, uh, I think he went to Brown and has a Harvard MBA. I mean, they, people realize that skills, skills-based training is going to be critical uh, for organizations, for governments, for the world, right? And that's what we're in. We're in the skills-based training business, mm-hmm. our two, two certifications. So I think there's a lot of room for growth. The CTP, I think there's a huge potential growth market for financial planning and analysis just because the sheer numbers are much larger in terms of how big those organizations are. So I think skills-based certifications, badging, things that um, help with recognition of specific skill sets are gonna be important for employees and employers as the world moves forward. And then uh, I know we've talked about this briefly, we're also also focused at university partnerships because Mm -hmm. uh, after you get kind of after those top tier schools, universities are recognizing and colleges are recognizing that their customer actually is the student. And if your customer's gonna be happy, they gotta get a job, big surprise. So one of the things, one of our big initiatives, one of my personal initiatives, and we've got a university partnership program is to get undergraduate business education to move beyond just accounting and pure finance to look at both treasury and FP&A as uh, potential undergraduate, either minors or concentrations at the Kelly School of Business at uh, Indiana University is called a workshop. Uh, and the beauty of this is neither of those two professions are taught at the undergraduate level. So anyone going into treasury, anyone going into financial planning analysis, largely is just walking in with just an undergraduate business education, which is fine, but it's not really skills-based. So it's uh, uh, embedding the curriculum of our certifications into these undergraduate schools to help the students really have both the theoretical and the practical knowledge. Uh, whether they actually end up taking the certification, uh, we'll have to see. But the fact is, if you've got our exam prep platform internally, you, you certainly can speak the language of business, of treasury, of FP&A, uh, as opposed to someone that hasn't had that exposure. And then if you think about it, the beauty is we've got thousands of companies that would love to hire someone coming out of university who actually had a knowledge of corporate treasury, actually knew what the treasurer did as opposed to the treasurer's, you know, trying to find someone that, to grab in the corridor to say, hey, you're smart, come work for me. And so it's a, it is a great marriage. And I will say you know, we're working with two accreditation organizations that are global. So this is a global initiative um, and we make it quite frankly, a real plug and play. Universities tend to be very bureaucratic. There's a big number. Mm-hmm. And there aren't tenured professors in treasury or fp and They tend to be in accounting and finance. So 
we make it easy for the universities to adopt our program. We actually help them with the curriculum. Um, by and large, every undergraduate program in finance is going to have basic courses, but it's kind of putting a ring around them and saying, if these students take these courses and then we uh, add a couple of extra courses to this, then they really come out with a real deep knowledge of corporate treasury or financial planning and analysis. So it's kind of extending our why statement into the university level uh, so that we, you know, that there's a familiarity there at the undergraduate level. And then as they come out, helping them throughout their whole career. So sorry, winded, but it's my big passion. And can tell. Uh, yeah, well, and you know, my kids are all grown up and, you know, but if I was spending $50,000 a year, I, I certainly want my child to come out and have a job, you know, after $200,000 plus investment. And it'd be nice if the people I was spending, the, you know, stroking the check to actually cared as well. So I'm seeing real recognition from the universities that we've spoken to who realize that that now is a, a mission for them. They've got to be able to uh, provide their students with the real world skills to get a job and then be successful in those jobs.